As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Dose of Leadership Podcast, episode 139. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Richard Ryerson. Thanks so much, as always, for tuning into the show. I wanted to ask you if you've ever considered having your own leadership coach. You know, I wasn't, uh, didn't know much about coaching until I got one myself, and I still use them today, and it helps tremendously, and I'm offering that same support and service to you. So if you've considered coaching or you're not sure what it's about, uh, go ahead and contact me. We'll set up a free one-hour session to see if leadership coaching is just for you. I specialize in helping executives, but I can help anybody really for that matter. And what you get and some of the benefits, what um, a lot of clients have told me in their feedback is this focus, this clarity, this confidence that they get with working with me. And it's all about intentionality. If you listen to the show, you know it's about intentional action, taking action. Because let's face it, that's what most, most of us aren't doing. That's what most people aren't doing out there. They're on autopilot. I can help you you know, take it to the next level by helping you become more intentional, more aware of who you are as a leader, and most importantly, help you become accountable for being a successful leader. So feel free to reach out to me, Richard at richardryerson.com or Richard at doseofleadership.com, and I can set you up with a free one-hour session and we can explore options to see if coaching is just for you. Again, thanks for your support, and here's the interview. Well, what an honor it is for me today to have Ken Blanchard on the show. Few people have influenced the day-to-day management of people and companies more than him. He's a prominent, sought-after author, speaker, and business consultant. And Dr. Blanchard is universally characterized by his friends, colleagues, and clients as one of the most insightful, powerful, and compassionate individuals in business today. Ken is one of the most influential leadership experts in the world and is respected for his years of groundbreaking work in the fields of leadership and management. He's the co-founder and chief spiritual officer of the Ken Blanchard Companies, an international management training and consulting firm that he and his wife, Margie, began in 1979 in San Diego, California. He's a phenomenal uh, author in his best-selling book, The One-Minute Manager, co-authored with Spencer Johnson, has sold more than 13 million copies and remains on bestseller lists. Uh, to raving fans, gung-ho and hold on, Ken's impact as a writer is far-reaching. He's got a brand-new book out called Fit at Last, Look and Feel Better Once and for All, which he co-authored with fitness expert Tim Kieran. Ken, gosh, what an honor and a privilege. Thank you for coming on Dose of Leadership. Well, it's good to be with you, Richard, and uh, it's always fun to talk about leadership. We 
the world certainly is in desperate need of a different leadership role model. I mean, we've seen what self-serving leaders have done in every sector of society. Uh, and uh, so uh, we really need people to look at leadership, particularly as servant leaders rather than self-serving leaders. So I'm always excited to share some thinking about that. Yeah, amen to that. I think, you know, as I was talking in the pre-interview, you know, I, I used to, I came from the Marine Corps side of the house, and a lot of people think it's a command and control type environment, but it really is, uh, I have found, to be one of the great examples of servant leadership. And, uh, you know, we were talking before we started the recording about who has had a tremendous impact on you as a leader, and you were talking about your father. Would you mind recounting, you know, re, re, you know telling my listeners that story about your father? What an amazing individual. Yeah, well, my dad was was one of my heroes. He uh, actually grew up at West Point. His father was a doctor, Highland Falls, and when he got out of high school, his dad said, son, I think you should, should go away to school. My dad loved West Point, and he said, if I can't go here, I'll go to the Naval Academy. So he ended up there, graduated in 24 as a Marine, but they didn't need Marine officers in and then they thought they had fought the war to end all wars. And so they let him out after uh, his senior cruise. And he entered Harvard Business School in, in January 25, uh, made finance and all, and then went down and started with Anaconda Copper and then got with National City Bank. And they were, you know, kind of getting him ready to be a vice president. And in 1940, he came home, and I was one year old. And he said to my mom, well, I quit today. She said, you did what? He said, I quit. She said, do what? He said, I rejoined the Navy. She said, you did what? He said, didn't I tell you when we got married, if the country got in trouble, I felt I owed it something. And, uh, you know, Hitler's crazy. It's just a matter of time until the Japanese get in this. And so he goes from a potential vice president to, uh, you know, second Louis. They put him in Brooklyn Navy Yard. And when Pearl Harbor happens, it looks like he's going to stay there because he's got no experience. And so that wasn't my dad's style. So one of his classmates had stayed in and was uh, <clears throat> a top guy in Butte Purse in Washington. And so he called him to John, what do you got for an old fart with no experience in the action? i got to get in the action. So he says, Ted, I'll check on it for you. And he called back a few days later. And he said, all i got for a guy with your experience is a suicide group going into the Marshall Islands. <laughs> so my dad says, you got your man, and they gave him 12 LCIs, you know, landing craft infantry, and gave him a job to protect the Marines and the frogmen going into uh, Saipan, Kowajalain, Anahuitak, and all the major battles for the Marshall Islands, and 75% of his men were killed or wounded. Wow. And uh, so it was a pretty amazing uh, thing when he got, after the war, he got home and went back with National City, and after a week or so, he came home and said to my mother, well, I quit again. <laughs> he says, you did what? He said, yeah, a bunch of draft dodgers there. And so he got back at the Navy and, and stayed in and retired as a rear admiral uh, in the Navy. And he was really my hero. You know, you were talking, Richard, about, you know, leadership, the myth that military is about power and control. Right. You know, and my dad says, anybody thinks it's, it's command and control and all. It's never been in battle. You know, he said, if you think you're a big deal uh, and you're in battle, he said, your men will shoot you before the enemy. That's right. That's right. <laughs> he, he said, it's just not like that. And i never forget, I won the president of the seventh grade 
junior high school in Nourishell, New York, and I came home and I was all proud. My dad says, congratulations, son, but now you're president, don't ever use your position. He said, great leaders are great because people respect and trust them, not because they have power. And that was the beginning of a lot of my lessons about about leadership uh, from him over the years. So he was a major hero of mine, uh, Richard. He was really amazing. And then my mom was an amazing person. She invented positive thinking before Norman Vincent Peale even thought about it. <laughs> and she was just great. She says, a pearl of genius is a pearl of goodness in every person. You know, dig it out. Right. You know, find it. People are good. <laughs> Oh, what a blessing to have such two great examples. I mean, that's just, I just, I got a smile on my face thinking about those stories. I've never met them, but I feel like I've already known them. I just can imagine uh, what a great environment to be surrounded by. And as you, as you look back, I'm sure you've gleaned so many lessons from, from the two of them, for sure. Yes, it was really, it really was a blessing. That's why I feel sad. A lot of people growing up without parents or out without, with only one and yeah, and also, and they aren't necessarily great models. So it's a, I don't think there's a more important leadership position to you, Richard, than than being a parent. Absolutely, you're on it. I think a lot of times, and it's funny. I ask this question a lot on the show, and almost invariably, you know, who who's made the biggest impact on you as a leader? And almost a hundred percent of the time, someone goes back to uh, their parents, and if it's not even their parents, and or a teacher or a close relative or somebody, and when you think about that and we we know this intuitively that that we make such an impact but i think sometimes we forget we get caught up on the hustle and bustle but we everything that we do even the little innocuous things can make a huge impact on our kids and uh, it's something we need to be very you're so right richard i often in my sessions will say how many of you think that you're leaders now these are all managers you know Mm -hmm. i only get about 20 percent put their hands up and then i say to them okay i want you to think about uh, one or two people who really impacted your life in terms of who you are as a human being. And then they think of that for a minute. And then I said, okay, how many of you, as you were thinking about people who impacted your life, named a manager or a supervisor you've That's had right. at work? Hardly anybody. That's right. I, how many mother, father, grandfather, you know, aunt, uncle, friend, neighbor, you know, and their hands go up. See, I think it's important, Richard, for people to understand that, that, <clears throat> Everybody has life role leadership positions. Yes. As as parents, as spouses, as friends, as neighbors, as citizens and all. And then some people have organizational leadership positions and all. But that everyone's a leader because all leadership is to me is an influence process. Anytime you're attempting to influence the thinking, beliefs or or development of someone else you're engaging in leadership. And therefore, we got to all realize that we're leaders, and that's why what you're doing is so important to to teaching and talking to people about leadership. Yeah, getting everybody to think and act like a leader, I mean, that is definitely what is needed, I think, in in, in all aspects of life. And you're right, I love that you asked that question. I've done the same thing, and, um, you know, do you consider yourself? And it's always that small amount, and then I, like you did, asked the question, well, are you a brother? Are you a sister? Are you a father? Are you a mother? Are you an aunt, an uncle? Either way, we all have a, we're all going to be called to leadership, whether we like it or not at some point in our lives. So I think it's, 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 you know, behooves us to learn what it takes to be a leader. And I think you're right. We, we tend to think it's all about hierarchical organizational where we're at on the org chart, but it's not that at all. You can uh, make an impact no matter where you're at. Uh, in, in yes. I, I love, uh, 
Richard Bowles in What Colors Your Parachute yeah. uh, that he revises every year. But he always asks that question, would you like to make a difference in the world? And I ask that question, too, and everybody puts their hands up. And I say, what is your plan? And then everybody laughs. And, I, and what Richard says, and I believe he's right, <clears throat> you can make a, uh, a difference in the world by the moment-to-moment decisions you make as you interact with other human beings. You know, you leave the house and somebody yells at you. you got a choice. You can go yell back at them or you can go back in and give them a hug and tell them you hope they have a better day. Somebody cuts you off on the way to work. You know, you got a choice. You can chase them down and, and give them a, you know, dirty finger or you can send them a prayer. You know, I mean, and so that we can really make a difference as we interact with other human beings. And that's what leadership's all about, influencing and and have making a difference in people's lives. I love that you said that it's a choice because it really is because that gives that gives each of us the power to to make an impact. And I think that once we realize that leadership is choice, that courage is a choice, um, that to act through your convictions despite the fear, all of that is a choice. That gives you a great deal of um, uh, power, I guess, in a sense, to make a difference. And I wish people more would see that they have a lot more control over this or a lot more impact than they give themselves credit for. Yeah, that's for sure. You know, and you've got, got a lot of choices all day. What do you think some of the um, biggest challenges that we're facing as leaders today? I mean, you've you've been in this arena for a very long time. Um, how is it different now as compared to maybe 40 years ago? Well, I think that, that we have some negative uh, images. And, uh, you know, some of it starts with Wall Street, and this isn't, you know, all companies and all, but they act like, the only reason to be in business is to make money. And then that gets played out with other people. It's results, it's results, you know, you, you know, and it's, it's, against it that ends up, it's all about you. Yeah. Uh, and to me, that's not effective leadership. You know, that's uh, self-serving leadership, which I don't think uh, is. And I think the really great organizations, I wrote a book with Colleen Barrett, who was president of Southwest Airlines after Herb Kelleher. And, and they think their number one customer is their people. And if they empower their people, love on their people, train their people and all, their people will be excited and fully engaged, and then they'll go out of their way to take care of their second most important customer, the people who fly their airlines. And if they do a good job there, those people will want to come back, and then they'll take care of the third most important uh, you know, uh, a group, and that's, that's your stockholders and your owners. And, and I think very often we have the thing reversed so yeah. that we act like, you know, results are important. And I guess customers are somewhat important, but people are movable parts. And the reality is the people that you have in your organization, they're on loan from you to you, from their families and all that. And, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity to make a difference in people's lives. And then through that, giving them opportunity to make a difference in other people's lives. I love that you said that, you know, taking care of the folks and they'll take care of you for sure. You know, I was even thinking last, I've seen some, especially in the last month, I've seen a lot of um, kind of cliche and tired leadership examples that, that uh, from, from a lot of senior leaders that I've seen, and it is a more, it uh, seems to be about them, that there's an entitlement mentality and say, look, I've, I've arrived, I'm at this position, I deserve it. Um, but gosh, what you just said there reminds us, I mean, this whole game of leadership, if you want to call it a game, is, is about serving people, right? It's, I mean, you got to take care yeah. of folks. It's a, That's the number one priority. Well, it's interesting, Richard. A lot of people, when I talk about serving leadership, <coughs> they think, 
I'm talking about the inmates running the prison or trying to please everybody yeah. or some kind of religious movement. But they don't understand there's two parts of servant leadership. The leadership part is about vision and direction. Leadership's about you know, kind of going somewhere, particularly if you have an organization. And uh, people need to know where they're, they're being asked to go and what are you trying to accomplish and, and all. And the traditional hierarchy has got to be responsible for making sure that those uh, things are clear. It doesn't mean you don't involve people, but it's your responsibility. And then you move to the second part of servant leadership, which is the servant part, which is turning the pyramid upside down. Mm -hmm. And now your job is to serve uh, the people and to help them live according to the vision and the values. And, you know, take, for example, Washington, which is such an embarrassment to, right. to me because it's a self-serving system. And the big reason is is that we don't have a vision for this country anymore. We don't know what business we're in. We don't have a picture of the future about where we're going and what we're trying to accomplish. We don't have a, any agreed-upon values anymore. It's a, it's a free-for-all when it comes to values. The squeaky wheel determines values uh, and all. And when you have nothing to serve, the only thing you get to serve is yourself. And so my disappointment in leadership in Congress and Senate and the, and the Office of the President and everybody is that they don't spend any time trying to say, where are we headed? What are we doing? It's a really interesting book called The Miracle in Gettysburg uh, about the founding of the Constitution and all. And you had a bunch of egomaniacs there. You know, you had Benjamin Franklin and Madison and Jefferson and all. But they created a vision and a set of values and all that somehow people don't want to act like we had these in this country uh, in there. <clears throat> and, uh, and therefore they lowered their ego needs for the bigger picture that they had right. of uh, what kind of country they wanted to have. So what do we do? I mean, it's you know, when I hear you say that, I agree with you, and sometimes it can seem so overwhelming and you can get just you know bogged down into inaction and, and impotency and it's like, what do I do? And what advice would you give us for you know people like myself or for people who are kind of stuck in middle management and maybe the leadership above them isn't doesn't doesn't really value leadership like what we're talking about here. What can we do? How can we make an impact when it seems so overwhelming? Well, I, I think a lot of people leave a seminar I do and say, you know, the wrong people are here, you know, and I say, well, who should be there? And they all look up to the ceiling, you know, and I say, well, the reality is that you're here. Yeah. And, uh, and what are you going to do a difference? Because you can make a difference where you're planted. And if you, rather than attacking top management, you just start operating in a different way and don't talk about it, just do it. Right. And people start to look around and see the results you can get when you empower your people, when you, you, you appreciate your people and all. And then they might start coming and saying, what's the difference? What are you doing? And now you can start to, to tell them. I think people make a mistake to attack people with power when you have no power. Uh, and uh, what you need to do is try to see if you can catch the, the upper management doing anything right and be considered an ally rather than an enemy, and then when they trust you, then you can sort of say, let me just give you some feedback and some suggestions and, and all, uh, and uh, see if you can have an impact, because I, I think you still uh, can, but remember, it all starts with where you're planted. That's right. You know, start, stop trying to run everybody else's operation, and if you do a good job where you're planted, it's going to get noticed, uh, and uh, then maybe you can share with people what your philosophy is. Oh, great insight. It, you know, being intentional and being aware of your surroundings, where you're playing, it takes some action. Um, gosh, you're so right. I mean, we, we, 
I go back to, and I, we, we need to give ourselves a little more credit about what we can affect. And you're right. No matter where we're planted, we can, we can take some action and make some, make some impact. What mistake do you see, um, most leaders making more than others over the years? What have you seen, um, the biggest mistake people make? Well, I think, uh, Richard, the biggest mistake is they think that all the brains are in their office, you yeah. know, and uh, <laughs> they act like, uh, you know, uh, this is where the action is. And, and one of my favorite sayings is, no one of us is as smart as all of us, yeah. you know, and that uh, the really great leaders realize that all the information that they uh, need is in their in their people. My father used to say to me, he said, Ken, you know, um, you know, if you don't hear any complaining or bitching from your men, watch your tail because you're going to go over the side. You know, you've got mutiny. <laughs> right. uh, what you need to do is you need to listen to your people because they know where the action is. They know where the issues are. They know how to solve the problems. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> you know, I think is the whole concept of an empowering manager who really realizes that uh, all of us, is uh, much more powerful than any one of us. You know, I like what you said there. One of the things I learned in aviation, and, and it's uh, I carried this over into my everyday life, you know, both at home and in the work environment. But when you fly with somebody, you always want to uh, make sure you have an open, uh, you know, no no walls in the cockpit, you know, no egos in the cockpit. That's the big thing. And, and one of my early mentors in flying said look it's i don't care what you think it's not your right to challenge it's not your uh, right to challenge me it's your obligation to challenge me don't let me land with my gear up no matter what you're thinking you know and uh i yeah. think that's such great advice and that's goes to what you're talking about there you're right it's, yeah. if you can get people to openly challenge you in a in a respectful way or you know uh, what a great environment to be in well i and i think it's it's not only listening to the people around you but i think you know i think you're spiritual life is really an important thing. Uh, B.J. Gallagher has a wonderful book out. He said, if, if God is your co-pilot, change seats. You know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think somehow we're trying to wipe out, you know, spirituality. I think it's very different than religion. I think it's just a belief in, you know, in a higher power and a sense that this may be something more important, more wise, and more loving than us uh, in our lives. And I think that that's an important uh element, I think, to, to add to the, to the mix. And I think that people who have a good sense of, of a spiritual life, they have a higher chance of becoming servant leaders, you know, because yeah. I think servant leadership starts in the inside with your heart, and it's a, it's a character and it's an intent issue. Are you there to serve or, or be served? I have a ministry that's around the world now called Lead Like Jesus, and we're not trying to convert anybody, but uh, I was just blown away when I read the Bible uh, for the first time in my late 40s and, and went to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, and I discovered everything that I had ever written about leadership or done, Jesus did, and he did it with these 12 incompetent guys that he hired, you know, right. he was a situational leader, he was a one-minute manager, you know, all of those kinds of things, and so I just think it's just so important for us to look beyond ourselves. I think the biggest error is to think that uh, the world circles around us. Great point. You know, I, for me, my kind of leadership um, really went to a whole uh, new level in the sense that when I, like you, I I was pretty much unchurched my whole life. And not that I wasn't uh, uh, spiritual, but w- you're right. When I really started understanding and 
and realizing that leadership principles, no one really invented them. They just exist. They just there. They are, and they're there for us to discover. And you're right. And when you look into the Bible, and you don't you don't even have to believe it, but you can read the Bible, and it's one of the best leadership uh, guides that's out there. I mean, I just I'm with you. I kind of came to it late, and like, oh my gosh, I can't believe how much I've been missing. What's what's uh, tapped in here? Yes, yeah, so you get a kick. I was doing a program on Lead Like Jesus in Atlanta with John Ortberg, who's a wonderful pastor from Menlo Park. And I said, John, why would you fly across the country to tell people that Jesus was a great leadership role model? And he's a great storyteller. And he turns to this crowd and he says, uh, let's just imagine 2,100 years ago you were a gambler. Now, I know some of you don't like gambling, but where would you put your money on lasting? The Roman Empire and the Roman army or a little Jewish rabbi with 12 inexperienced followers. <laughs> he said, isn't it interesting that 2,100 years later, we're still naming kids who see who Jesus, Peter, Paul, and Mary, but we name our dogs Nero and Caesar. <laughs> he said, I rest my case. I rest my case. <laughs> that's you know? a great story. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, that's great. Well, let's talk about your latest book, you know, Fit, Fit at Last. I mean, I thought this is just amazing that, you know, um, here you are, in your 70s, and you're writing a fitness book, and uh, Ken Blanchard's partnering with a fitness expert. What is the genesis for the book? Talk to me about it. Well, you know, for a long time, I've said, you know, Mar- Margie and I have been married 52 years now, but I've said for a long time, I want you guys on the uh, tour bus in Hawaii, uh, you know, because if you've ever seen a tour bus in Hawaii, 35 women get off and four men, because the rest of them are all dead, <laughs> you know, and so <laughs> finally my son Scott, who works with us, and daughter, that Dad, we're sick of this, all this baloney, you know. What are you going to do about it, you know? And so I, I finally got motivated, you know. If I want to hang around, I better get in shape. I was overweight. I wasn't exercising at all. So Tim Karens is a fellow I know for a long time. He was the, the uh, on the fitness staff uh, and, and training at West Point for seven years. And uh, he started a thing here called Personally Fit. And now he and his wife have had their own operation. They've sold that one. And I went to Tim. I said, what would it take for you to really keep on me and coach me and get me fit? And he said, I've always wanted to write a book for fitness for senior citizens and all. And I said, well, you got a deal because if I'm not successful, you don't have a book. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so the, the book is really all about the journey. It's not a one where we recommend a particular diet or anything. But so interesting, uh, Richard, there's, there's six parts of, of uh, being healthy and fitness. There is aerobic around your heart. There's strength training, you know, around your tone and your core. Mm-hmm. There's balance, which is really important as you get older because people fall, really get themselves in trouble. There's flexibility. Uh, there's diet and nutrition. And then there's rest. And I went, duh, how come I don't use situational leadership, which is we've been using for years and right. the most widely used leadership model probably in the world where you analyze what's your development level on a particular goal and what leadership style do you need. And so, uh, you know, uh, I found out that I was an enthusiastic beginner, which means I was highly committed but had no clue on where how to start on strength training and balance because I had never done anything, so I needed a real directive leadership style. But I was uh, a disillusioned learner when it came to aerobics because I had started a lot of different jogging programs and all, and the flexibility and diet and nutrition, and therefore I needed a coaching leadership style. The only one that I could handle a delegating leadership style was 
sleep and rest because I can sleep anywhere. You know, in fact, I've probably been sleeping while we've been talking. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, it's it's uh, so interesting. I, one of the questions we ask is, why don't New Year's resolutions work? Because everybody put their hands up. They, I've had New Year's resolution hasn't worked. Because when you announce it, everybody important in your life laughs and says, I'll believe it when I see it. And they go to a delegating leadership style. Well, if you could handle a delegating leadership style, it wouldn't be a New Year's resolution. You would do it. So that's the wrong style. Right. So that's what Fit at Last is all about, which is how do you get the kind of help that you need to become healthy? And so now I'm actually, uh, you know, the book's out, but I'm starting my fourth year of working with with Tim, and I've, you know, lost over 40 pounds. Wow. And I do strength training two or three times a week, as well as balance and flexibility and and uh, you know it's uh, it's uh, just been a great journey. So it's a it's a fun book for you if if you uh, not just for fitness, but if you have anything that you want to accomplish that you you've tried and haven't, this might give you some good advice. Well, you know, it's always I've always struggled with the follow through, and it's you know even when you you kind of compare fitness with any type of change in your life and it requires growth. I mean, there's going to be some pain involved. And I always found this, especially I used to run a lot and, you know, it'd take me about maybe seven weeks and I hate run. I absolutely hate running, but if I can get past the seven week point and I do it consistently, then something happens. It flips, it goes in the reverse. I actually feel worse if I don't run, it becomes a habit. Um, and I suppose that's like with anything in life, anything that you're trying to change on a personal level, be it fitness or trying to become a different uh, type of leader, um, you got to get through that kind of painful process before it starts becoming a habit, right? Yes, and you know, a book came out a number of years ago called Positive Addiction, which is studying joggers and meditators and different people who <clears throat> you know, developed a habit that became something that uh, really was important to them. And I tell you, there's nothing worse to be around a jogger or, or an exerciser who gets hurt and they can't exercise, they become honorary. Right. Why? Because because they can't do their addiction, right. which is a positive, positive thing. And so I think you're right. you got to hang in there, you know, past uh, a week or two. You've got to give it a month, month and a half to kind of get addicted. So now I'm really kind of addicted to keeping myself in shape. Well, that's great. So you, you've noticed a big, that's, man, food. <laughs> That's a that's a lot of yeah. forty pounds. You must be feeling you feeling pretty good. Um, you got more energy. I mean, how do you feel? Yes, I really am. And they were gonna wanted to do an operation on my knee. You know, I had hurt my knee playing basketball, and I had had one operation and, and all. But losing weight and exercising and working on strength, they said, "Well, you don't. I don't need to do my new knee operation anymore." So that was a real positive uh, thing too. Great. So. Well, how can as we wrap up here, um, what advice would you give to all the listeners out there, no matter where they're at in their their leadership uh, role, but maybe then they're that they're in that position for the first time, or what what advice would you give someone going into leadership for the first time? Well, I would the biggest advice I would give you is that that leadership is an influence process, and uh, you're only as good as the people you gather around you, and that that your main job as a leader is to bring out the best in the people around you. It's not about you. Uh, and if you can get out of your own way and people realize that you're there for them uh, and you're there to help them accomplish the goals that you agreed upon and all, you can create a whole uh, different uh, environment and, and all. And I think it's 
not about, as I learned from my father, about power and control. It's a, it's around influence, and it's around catching people doing things right, right and cheering them on and, and all of those kinds of, of uh, things. And to recognize that, that you do have to have the leadership part, which is clear goals and objectives and all, but then the servant part is how do I help people win? It's all about helping people win. It's not about you. I love it. Great advice. Where can people find you, Ken? You're easy to find on the web, but is there any place specific you'd like people to go to, to search for you? Well, they can go to uh, KenBlanchard.com, which is our website. <laughs> and if they're interested in our Lead Like Jesus, they can go to LeadLikeJesus.com. Uh, and, and on our website, you know, I Twitter and I tweet and I do all those kinds of things. <laughs> I have people that help me on that, but uh, uh, I think it's uh, great to have something like what you're doing where we can get information out to people uh, so much more easily nowadays so uh, it's uh, it's great but, but love to hear from you all well Ken what a true privilege like I said I've been uh, from the very get go when I started this you were on my uh, original list um, of people I wanted to talk to I mean you've been a mentor from afar and I love your work I love what you do I love your style um, what an honor it was for me to have you on this show thanks for taking the time well, thank you. It's always a, a joy, and all of you out there, remember, uh, you have a big responsibility because you're a human being and you're breathing, and if you're doing that, you can influence other people. You can make a difference in their lives by the moment-to-moment choices you make every single day. Love it. What a great way to end. Ken, stay on the line for a moment. We'll talk uh, after the recording, but uh, thanks for coming on the show. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 